made it to the very last fruit of the Spirit. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. Good job. You made it through a sermon series. It's only your whole job. Anyway, um, we've made it. So we might not get to sing the fruit of the Spirit song for a little while, but I'm sure we'll get to bring it back over the year. But we've made it to the very last one. Um, Last time we talked about gentleness, and today we get to talk about the easiest one of them all, self-control. Easiest one of all, right? We're down to that last one. And uh, last week, we didn't talk about a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I gave Larry kind of free opportunity, and he gave a fantastic sermon. So if you weren't here, watch it on the YouTube channel. Um, But two weeks ago, we talked about gentleness, and here we are at self-control, the very last fruit of the Spirit. But I think it was very fitting, the sermon that Larry gave last week, because it ties right into self-control, right? Uh, Larry was kind of talking about stumbling blocks, kind of at the, at the surface level, right? Which is things we don't want to be putting in front of other Christians that might cause them to fall or stumble or slow down on their spiritual walk. But in order to not put stumbling blocks, sometimes it takes a lot of self-control, doesn't it? In order to give up what I want to do as to not cause somebody else to struggle, that's self-control right there. And also the other side of it is self-control as well. If there's something that somebody's doing that's not exactly like I like it, I got to have some self-control to not let myself get stuck up on that, right? So actually, Larry was just kind of given a a warm-up for self-control this week. Self-control is one that is so, so difficult. I said at the beginning that it's the easy one, but it's really not the easy one at all, is it? It's something that we're faced with, it's uncomfortable to deal with, and wrestling through self-control can be one of the hardest things. So that's what we're going to be talking about, self-control today. What do you think of when you think of self-control? This is what I think of, right? Kevin? Homer Simpson, how he always has a donut. That's kind of where my brain goes too. Sadie, what do you think of? Being in control, she sounds just like the dictionary definition. Being in control. I'm like, okay, yeah. Self-control, this is what I think of, right, is a donut. And I put a donut on the bulletin too, and Courtney says, don't do that, that's mean. But this is where my brain automatically goes, is a donut. And I don't know why, but donuts are one of those things that are really hard when it comes to self-control. Because you know what? I can't think of a single situation in my life where I actually needed a donut. But yet, a donut is always there when I feel like I need a donut. But it's never given me any nutrients or, um, you know, taken me a place that made me any better than just a donut for the moment, right? So if I practice self-control, maybe I could have something that's better for me, something that gives me nutrients, but the donut is right there and it's so difficult. So usually this is how donuts end up looking for me. A couple of bites in, and then I realized, man, I don't really want a donut that bad. But self-control is hard. It's, It's meaning that you take control of your body, like Sadie says. Honestly, if you were to look up the definition, I kind of got frustrated at the definition too, but if you were to look up the definition, self-control would be a noun that's uh, described as restraint exercised over one's impulses, 
emotions, or desires. So basically just a a dictionary way of saying what Sadie said, right? Exercising control over what you want, how you feel, and what you um, are innately given to do, right? That's an impulse. So what you're innately given to do, what you feel like, and what you really want. Self-control means you're going to be diligent. You're going to moderate. You're going to control your own desires, your own disposition, and be mindful of how you're going to react, right? Self-control is thinking about that before it happens and doing something even though it might not be exactly the thing you want to do because you're controlling yourself. You're not just giving in to whatever comes down the pike, right? You're not just giving in to the donuts because they're here. And I didn't even bring donuts today. I talked about it, thought about it. But rather, you decide what you're going to do. You control what you're going to do. And it applies in our lives in so many different ways. Donuts are a funny one to think about, but if you think about your life, self-control probably applies to most categories, right? Most categories. Sometimes in your life, you have the opportunity to purchase things. Sometimes you have the opportunity to not purchase things. Dang, there's self-control again, isn't there? What's that? Motorcycles? What are you talking about? That's not them. Sometimes you're given the opportunity to do something that you want to do, but there's another opportunity that might be better for someone else. Darn, self-control again. Sometimes with your time, you're given the opportunity to do something with your time that you want or something else, and so you have to make a self-control decision. Who am I going to serve in this moment? Self-control is more than just donuts, but it applies to our whole lives, right? And if you look at all of these fruits of the Spirit that we've talked about so far, I think self-control is kind of the bring it all together, isn't it? Self-control applies to love. If you're going to really love somebody, you have to decide and control yourself to love them or hate them. Either way, self-control applies. Self-control definitely applies to joy because joy is having a mindset to be grateful, isn't it? It applies to having peace, letting things go. It definitely applies to patience. Oh, that's a tough one to have self-control for me. It applies to kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. Self-control applies to all of them. And I think we need to have self-control. Not only because Paul talks about it in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, but when we look at the Scripture... This one's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. The image of Christ dying for us is an image of self-control. He, meaning Jesus Christ, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died for you and I. But he didn't just die so you can do whatever you like. He didn't just die so you can uh, be selfish for the rest of your lives. But rather, he died so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. Living for Jesus Christ takes self-control. If it didn't take self-control, it would be called living for self, right? 
But living for Jesus Christ takes self-control. And so at the core of Christianity is kind of the idea of self-control. Most of us in the process of becoming a Christian, whether it's before we've dedicated our lives to Christ or not, someplace in in that process we realize that we're going to have to put away our selfish desires. At some point, maybe we realize this over and over again because we're humans, but we realize that we're trying to live for God now. And so we we put away our selfish desires, and that looks like self-control. So that's what Christianity is all about, remembering time and time again that we got to control ourselves and live for Christ. So Christianity is kind of all about self-control. In fact, Paul would say it in other places too. This one's in 1 Corinthians. We're just in 2 Corinthians, now we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. So Paul talks about self-control a little bit over and over again. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, this is out of the ESV. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now this verse doesn't say anything about self-control, does it? But if you start to think about it, the good of your neighbor means you have to control your desire again. Seeking the good of your neighbor is putting yourself last instead of first. It's controlling yourself and your desires. So in Galatians chapter 5, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Here to the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's talking about self-control too. And like I said, I think it applies to all of the fruits. Self-control applies to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And I think Paul's kind of buttoning it all back together with this last fruit of the Spirit. So there you go. That's the sermon. Christians have, uh, you know, self-control. So good luck with that. I'll see you next week. Okay. It's not that easy, is it? To be like, you know, uh, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Have self-control. He tells the church that if you're a Christian, you have to live self-control. So have self-control. Go home and do that. Well, it's never quite that simple, is it? It's always a struggle. In fact, it's not only a struggle for you. Maybe, Maybe you don't have as much of a struggle as other people, but it's not only a struggle for you. It's a struggle for everyone. In fact, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but uh, there's a people group I just can't stand. I, ooh, ah, they drive me crazy. Uh, there's a certain people group, they just drive me crazy. And the reason they drive me crazy is because these, these people think they have it all figured out. And I can't stand people that have it all figured out, right? And uh, they know all the answers, of course, And they kind of act like you don't know all the answers. And they want to tell you how to make your life better because they know all the answers. And I tell you what, they just drive me crazy. But the part that drives me the most crazy about them is they're telling you all the answers that you're doing wrong. But if you really look at their life, they're not actually practicing it themselves. The things they're telling you are not actually what they're always doing. And so I hope you don't think less of me, but what I'm saying is I really can't stand preachers. I can't stand preachers. Okay, that sounds a little mean, right? But if you're a part of them, you can make fun of them. 
Isn't that what, what preachers and teachers are doing? We're telling you all the ways that you should do better, but at the same time, are we perfect? Not this one. And so it's really tough for me. Sometimes I, I see preachers who are talking about self-control and they've had too many donuts. Or they'll go smoke the cigarette afterwards. That one's tough, right? Sometimes they'll talk about managing what God has given us and they haven't done well with their money. That drives me crazy, right? But it's because they too are humans and I'm a human and I'm trying to talk about self-control and I know I don't have it. That's why donuts are all over the PowerPoint. But you know what? It's okay because Paul's been talking about self-control to the church and you know what he says? I don't have it mastered yet either. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I invite you to read that whole chapter and get some context because it's kind of hard to put it all on the screen. But Paul says to the, to the church in Rome, he's talking about himself, he's reflecting in his letter, and he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate, Romans 7.15. A few verses later, he would say, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep doing. He doesn't use the word self-control here, but what's he describing? I don't have it perfectly locked in either, guys. Paul's saying this to the church, and Paul's the same guy who wrote about Jesus and Christianity being self-control. Paul's the same guy who says a fruit of what God has given us, a fruit of the Spirit, is self-control. And then he writes to the church and says, I don't have perfect self-control. I want to do this thing that's good, but I find myself doing this thing that's evil. I'm not perfect at self-control. Well, me neither, Paul. And so I can make fun of preachers like Paul, like me. We're not perfect at self-control either. But he tells us time and time again, while saying that he's imperfect, that Christians are supposed to practice self-control. But maybe cut yourself a little slack. Because even Paul, who many of us would say, one of the greatest preachers we ever have read about, wasn't perfect at it. Maybe cut yourself a little slack. But yet again, if I ended the sermon there, you'd just feel good about you'd go home and eat a whole box of donuts. You'd go give in to whatever selfish desire. I'd hate to see what a sermon that ended right there would look like for you. It would ruin your life. But who do we look to if even Paul, one of the greatest preachers, wasn't great at self-control? Who do we look at if even your preacher, whether you're here today or you're watching someplace else, what do you do if your preacher's bad at it? Well, we got to look to somebody else. we got to look to somebody who is actually good at self-control. But the problem with humans is they're all humans. Nobody's mastered it. Except one, right? Except one man who walked the earth, and the reason he could master it was because he was God. Jesus Christ mastered self-control, and you can read about it in Matthew chapter 4. And this isn't the only place you can read about Jesus' self-control, but why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And I'm sure you're familiar with these, these scriptures. 
basically the first two-thirds of Matthew chapter 4 is the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, right? And Matthew does a good concise account of Jesus' early ministry. And so in Matthew chapter 3, we see uh, Jesus is with John the Baptist. He gets baptized. The very next thing we see is Jesus goes from baptism straight into the devil's hands. He gets tempted. So one thing when I talk to people about becoming a Christian is, uh, you know, Jesus went straight into temptation right after baptism. I wouldn't expect any less for you from Satan. And that's a tough one, right? But in Matthew chapter 4, here's what makes Jesus different than Paul or me or probably you. Let's read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, and see what happens. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command those stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. He said to him, All of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I'm going to stop right there at the end of verse 11. That's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I read out of the ESV. Jesus starts his ministry. He's baptized. The very next thing is he is tempted by Satan. And Satan's got some good ones, doesn't he? Jesus hasn't eaten in 40 days. And Satan's got a box full of donuts. Okay. He says, why don't you turn this stone into bread? But I think that probably would be even more tempting than a box full of donuts if you haven't eaten for 40 days, right? But Jesus is not going to give in to Satan. So to the hunger one, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone. What's he do? He turns the conversation away. He's not going to sin. He has self-control. Even though he's got to be really hungry, 40 days is pretty much the maximum that people like to do uh, and stay healthy for fast. He's really hungry. What's the next thing Satan's got up his sleeves? Well, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. So the highest point in the city, right? And he says, why don't you throw yourself off? Why don't you throw yourself off? You know that God, your Father, and the angels will save you, right? Jesus replies with, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Basically now, Jesus is being tempted with um, how holy and powerful he actually is when it comes to being God. 
but he doesn't give in to Satan on that one either. What about the last one here? Satan takes him up to another high place overlooking the city, and he says, hey, I rule the world. I can give you all this. You can be king and have power over everything. But Jesus doesn't give into that one either. He says, be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God only. So he's not going to worship the power and might of running a kingdom, but rather he's going to continue to serve the Lord. He practiced self-control even though he was starving. He practiced self-control even though he could prove that he was God. And he practiced self-control of being the ruler of the world that Satan was going to give him. All of these were self-control. They were all really tempting and really enticing. But yet he, he stopped and controlled himself. Because if he would have given in to Satan, we wouldn't have a Savior. If he would have failed at the beginning of his ministry, he wouldn't have been able to die on the cross at the end of his ministry. And the plan of salvation for all of man would have been given away. So Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, practices self-control. But he doesn't just stop at the beginning of his ministry. All throughout his earthly ministry, he continues to practice perfect self-control. The only man I could ever talk about to practice perfect self-control, right? And in in the story of John chapter 8, this is what I think of when I think of Jesus with self-control. In the story of John chapter 8, you might be familiar with this one. The Pharisees are trying to trap him. Of course they are, right? And how they're trying to trap him is they've got this woman who cheated on her husband. And they have Jesus cornered because they know that she's a sinner. And they know that the rightful punishment by their law is they can kill her for it. They can stone her. So they ask Jesus, hey, can we stone her? Putting them in a corner, right? And so Jesus gets down and draws in the sand. And this is always the story I think of for self-control when I think of Jesus. Because if Harold was there, he would have probably been like, no, you idiots, don't stone her, because if you start stoning people, look at yourself, you're going to have to be stoned too. Okay, that sounds weird. You're going to have to die too. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't call them idiots and yell at them. Uh, Thank goodness Harold isn't Jesus. Instead, he calms, sits down, draws in the sand, he gets back up and he says, you know what? Let the first person without sin cast the first stone. And he goes back to drawing in the sand. I don't know what he's drawing. I don't know if he's making smiley faces, what he's doing. But he's calm. He's self-controlled and he still gets the message across. In fact, he gets it across effectively, whereas Harold might not have done so so well. He causes the Pharisees to realize that they also are with sin. What about a little bit earlier in John, John chapter 2, Jesus being self-controlled? Now, this is one that people say, this is where Jesus wasn't self-controlled. He got mad and he flipped the tables of the temple because people were exchanging goods and money and it became a place of business instead of a place of worship. So he lost it. 
Well, that's not true, is it? If you really look, especially at John's account, if you really look at the story of what Jesus is doing here, Jesus sees what's happening in the temple, goes away, sits down, makes a whip, comes back the next day to turn the tables of the temple. Now, he did something crazy, but he did it in self-control. He didn't just react. He went and thought about what he was going to do to make the temple the righteous place that it was supposed to be. Now, John's the only account that'll tell you he takes this, this break, if you will, and thinks about it. I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke wanted to put the point across of the temple being cleansed. But Jesus was self-controlled even when he did something brash. He was self-controlled. So in the beginning of his ministry, he's self-controlled. In the middle, he's self-controlled. And I would dare to say even at the end of his ministry, he's self-controlled. Matthew 26, you can find this in the other Gospels as well, but this is Jesus in the garden. In the garden of Gethsemane, at the end of his days, if you want to use that terminology. And if you don't know the story, before Jesus goes to the cross, he's in the garden and he tells the apostles not to sleep, but rather pray and to watch. And he goes away and he does the same thing. And he has a deeply intimate prayer with his father. In this time of prayer with his father, he says, Father, if there's any other way, let it happen the other way. Take this cup from me. But that's not all he says. Because if he would have stopped there, it would have sounded like he didn't have self-control. <laughs> I can't do it, God. But he didn't stop there. He said, if there's any other way, let it be the other way. But not my will, but your will be done. He's going to control himself even though he desires to not be hung on a cross in a few hours. But he will control himself if it's the will of God. At the beginning of his ministry, when he's tempted, through the middle, you can find a bunch of examples. I just picked two. And then at the end, when he's in the garden, feeling abandoned, full of anxiety that he's sweating blood, he puts that all aside to do God's will. He controls himself. Again, thank goodness that Harold wasn't Christ because he wouldn't have been able to do it. His selfishness would have taken control. And I probably would have saved my life instead of all of humanity's. That's sad, isn't it? Jesus is the perfect inspiration example of what self-control will look like. You won't find any other man, not even Paul, the greatest preacher, and definitely not Harold. But Jesus Christ is the one you can look to. He has perfected self-control because he's God, and he showed us how humankind can do it. Mankind can do it. So I don't want to be like Paul. Some ways I do. He was my favorite preacher probably, but when it comes to self-control, I want to be like Jesus. That's what I'm going to work towards. In fact, we are called to be looking and working towards looking like Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 
For to this you have all been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. So I want to look like Jesus. I want to follow in the steps of Jesus when it comes to self-control. And you notice there's a word suffering in here. Jesus suffered for me. And then it says we follow in His footsteps. I realize that practicing self-control might mean some suffering for me personally. It might mean a few motorcycle sacrifices, Terry. I don't know why you said that one. Man. might mean a few donut sacrifices, right? It might mean for me a few monetary sacrifices, and probably even harder than all of these, is some time sacrifices. Because I'm going to control myself and serve other people. That's what Jesus did. Instead of just going and spending time with Harold. Because Christ is the greatest example for us to follow, especially when it comes to self-control. So, I think we're called to practice following the footsteps of Jesus. Self-control is no exemption from that. But the hard part is, I think self-control affects every part of our lives. From the minute we wake up, from the minute we fall asleep, we are practicing self-control to some degree when we really think about it. So I bet you probably don't have it figured out, but that's for you to know. I can tell you that I sure don't have it figured out perfectly, and Paul didn't have it figured out perfectly, but we need to look to Jesus because he's the only one that practiced it perfectly. God has given us all of these fruits of the Spirit, if you will, or fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I want us to remember that God gave it to us first. He gave us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and He gave us self-control. Just look at His Son. There's a challenge for us to live them, absolutely, but we also need to remember God gave them to us and thank God He did because it's through all of those gifts that we are given eternal life. It's through all of those gifts that we're given grace from God. So let's try and be more like Jesus and practice them, even the hard ones like self-control.